John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you the only work and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you. These know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. Thank you, God. You guys can be seated. Thank you for making it through that. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to welcome uh, one of the elders of the well in Abilene. This is Terry Johnson. His wife, Michelle, is here with us this morning as well. Um, the well in Abilene is our sending church. It's, it's a church where um, Kendall and I went to for almost seven years uh, and we, we got to know Kelsey. Many of you know Kelsey. She is on staff here at Redeemer. And uh, the well sent out Kendall and I with Kelsey to come plant Redeemer San Angelo. And um, that relationship that was started almost seven years ago 
has continued, even though we're in San Angelo um, and they're in Abilene. And so we're blessed to have help from the well. They are, are a tremendous blessing um, and God's favor has been on us through their love and their support. And so one of those ways is that um, Terry would come preach for us this morning. This is Terry Johnson. Um, he spent his career as a doctor and uh, has devoted his retirement to the preaching of God's word. How about that? So uh, thank you, Terry, for being here. He's, he's a special uh, relationship that I had. While I was in my residency, um, the well had uh, six elders, and I had a great relationship with all of them. Terry uh, was, was probably the most pastoral towards me, uh, just by the way that he saw me, that he knew me. There was one particular story. I'll make this real brief. Um, <clears throat> I had just taught a Bible study, and uh, it was probably a string of weeks that was some of the most um, whiplash and we went from having no idea where we were going to plant a church to then all of a sudden being called to San Angelo and trying to figure that out and communicate that with my wife and the elders and try to understand that for myself. And I was, I was not well. And Terry saw me. And Terry knew. And through his love and his affection for me, I knew that God was with me and that he was watching for me. And so Terry and I had lots of conversations. He prayed for me. Um, and he comforted me. He pastored me well. So I'm grateful to share um, his, his ministry with you this morning. Uh, so it's all yours. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, Redeemer, San Angelo. Um, your mother church sends you warm Advent greetings. I hope you're having the same experience that we are. We're enjoying the anticipation and the festivities of of this season, and uh, I trust that y'all are. Now, as Ryan mentioned, I learned to sort of read him. And when he asked me to do this, and show, and he, he specified, we're going through the Torah, I want you to preach from Exodus, and then this 17th chapter of John. And I looked at that, and I said, well, the bridge portion between these two is a good bit of the book of Hebrews and I says to myself self we have a problem he wants me to preach the whole Bible <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm not going to do that this morning uh, and I hope it doesn't seem that way um, but I you know this is payback from some of the stuff I did to him when he was a, a church resident so we'll just have to leave it at that um, Advent is a is a special season for a lot of us and usually when we think of it we think of this Christ as Savior we think of his first coming and his second coming we think of him as king it's pretty rare that anybody would think of him as a high priest during this season. So to specify that and put that in a group of sermons uh, on Advent shows y'all how perceptive Ryan is about the importance of the priesthood of Christ. Um. A lot of this 
17th chapter of uh, John, and, and all of Christ's work as a, as a priest is about prayer. And, uh, and so we're going, to, uh, we're going to talk more about that. Uh, all of us have difficulties with prayer, me included. Sometimes we just don't feel like praying. My wife will say, would you like to offer a blessing? No, I would not. <laughs> you know. Um, and other times we just, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray. Our emotions are messed up and we just can't figure it out. Um, sometimes we have trouble expressing our thoughts. We know what is on our mind. We know what we want to say. We can't say it. We just can't get it out. And then there are other times when we may be so burdened with guilt that we think, well, I don't have a right to pray. God doesn't want to hear from me. And so we won't pray. Or we may pray about something until the world looks flat. And then it seems like God just isn't listening. So we, we end up sometimes longing for somebody to express our emotions, somebody just to pray for us. And that came out in the psalm that, that he read a while ago. And, and Job, uh, one of my favorite guys, Job says it like this in the 16th chapter. This is an NIV version. Now it's a little bit different maybe than what you're using. It says, even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend as my, as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. And how many times we have felt that way. Well, Job's intercessor, we find out, is Jesus, the high priest. So this morning, we're going to look at this high priesthood, and we're going to emphasize the prayer that he, that's recorded in John chapter 17. So let's pray. Lord, as we study your word this morning, we're, we realize that we're treading on holy ground. Our understanding of your priesthood is incomplete. But we know that without it, we're lost. And we implore you this morning to grant us grace to approach your throne with confidence knowing that you desire a restored relationship with us. And to that end, uh, you live to plead our cause before God Almighty. And we love you, and we pray your kingdom will come soon. Amen. Before we get to the 17th chapter of John, we need to have a little background about priesthood in, in general, Old Testament priesthood. At the time of the Exodus, when Pharaoh killed all of the firstborn of the Egyptians, he set aside all the firstborn sons of Israel, ostensibly to make of them priests who would lead in his worship. But at the golden calf incident, at the base of Mount Sinai, things went wrong. 
And at that point, he decided to claim all of the tribe of Levi in place of all of the firstborn sons in Israel. And the reason is because the Levites were the only one of the 12 tribes that had not worshipped the golden calf. Um, and so they, they lost it at that point. Um, the, the, you know, the, most of the, the sons of all the different tribes did. At the same time, God appointed high priest and he appointed Aaron and his descendants to be high priest. Now the high priest was of particular and singular importance throughout, throughout the history of Israel because he was the only person that could enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. He was the only person that could go in there and he went once a year to offer atonement for his sins and the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And, um, and he did that uh, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Chapters 25 through 30 of Exodus tell us a lot about formal Israelite worship. And standing out in the middle of those is chapter 28 that describes the clothing of the high priest. On his clothes were sewn precious gems, jewels, that had the names of the sons of Israel engraved on them, and they were set in gold and then sewn to his garments. And he had it in two places. He had, had some on each shoulder, and then he had a, a breastplate uh, that had all of that. So that when he went into the Holy of Holies once a year, he was representing the entire nation of Israel, the 12 tribes before God. And he went where they couldn't go because of their sin and corruption, but he had been um, sanctified and uh, consecrated uh, to overcome that. And he, there's a lot about that in the, in the Old Testament. With time, these priests that were uh, established began to get lazy in what they were doing. And they, they just let their guard down. And it reached its lowest point during the administration of Eli. And uh, while, while Eli was the high priest, God had enough. And in 1 Samuel 2.35, here is what he says. He says, I will raise up for myself a faithful high priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, not long after this prophecy in 1 Samuel, uh, this theme of an eternal priesthood was picked up by David in Psalm 110. And listen to what David says. He says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, and he's talking about Christ, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You say, who is Melchizedek? Where did he come from? Well, he shows up three times in Scripture. The first time, he unexpectedly appears when Abraham returns from 
from rescuing Lot from the kings in the, in the Jordan Valley. And uh, you can read about that in Genesis 14 through 18. We won't go through all that. But after blessing Abraham, this Melchizedek, he just disappears for a thousand years until David mentions him in Psalm 110. And then after that one-liner, he just disappears from the face of history again for another thousand years until the book of Hebrews. And there he gets a lot of, a lot of press. Um, there's, a, there's a lot uh, about it. it uh, Hebrews 4 through 9 is just full of this Melchizedek and how, um, how he and Christ uh, are um, analogous to each other. And we're not going to go through all that. We don't have time. But uh, what I will do is summarize it for you, and, and I hope I can make it clear for you. Um, Melchizedek was said to be the priest of God Most High. Okay. His, the authority for his priesthood had nothing to do with genealogy. The Levitical priesthood depended entirely uh, on genealogy, but not Melchizedek's. We're told that Melchizedek had neither beginning of days nor end of life. That sounds pretty good. Um, his priesthood was said to be perpetual. Um, now, though there, were, there are some kind of peculiar twists in Christ's genealogy, he was not a Levitical priest either. He was from the tribe of, of Judah. Um, but his priesthood is patterned after Melchizedek, but it's established on oath from God. You are a priest forever uh, after Melchizedek. Um, and so that's, they're beginning to build in, in the book of Hebrews this close association between Christ and, uh, and Melchizedek. Um, Hebrews um, goes on to explain that there, there's, it talks about the new covenant which Christ initiated um, on the cross. You know, he says, this is a new covenant in my blood, and, and we'll get, we'll kind of touch on that again later on. But this new covenant, according to Hebrews, when it's inaugurated, it requires a new priesthood. The new covenant was prophesied by Jeremiah, uh, and then Christ uh, uh, inaugurated this in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. And, um, uh, but in this particular situation, even though you're getting a new priesthood to oversee, to administer the new covenant, there's a peculiarity in that the priest offers a sacrifice, which was true of most covenants, a sacrifice attended those. But in this situation, the priest was a sacrifice himself, was Christ. Hebrews concludes its presentation of this priesthood of Christ with, with this statement. For Christ, and this is from Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Well, this brings us to the 17th chapter of John. So if, you're, if you hadn't done it already, go ahead and open up to that. 
Uh, I'm not going to read it again, but I'm going to pick out um, certain verses and we're going to emphasize those. This chapter is a transcript of a prayer of what's known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And on the night before his crucifixion, he's meeting with the disciples in the upper room. They're celebrating Passover. He has just washed the disciples' feet. He has identified Judas as his betrayer and sent him out into the night. And then at the end of a fairly long discourse with the disciples... He offers this prayer before leaving to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, in the second verse, Jesus affirms his authority to give eternal life. And in the third verse, he gives us a definition of eternal life. You thought it was living forever. Well, it is, but he says that really eternal life, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So even a rudimentary understanding of the book of Genesis reveals that we were created to live forever in the presence of God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity in man's heart. Eternal life is something that we all hope for. We don't want to die. Um, but we really don't have the faintest idea what eternal life might be like. Now, Jesus told us uh, that in heaven there's neither marriage nor giving in marriage. Well, that solves a lot of problems. Um, we, we'd like to know, what will our resurrected bodies be? Will there be golf? I don't play golf. Um, may I suggest that the next time you're thinking about this, the next time you find it difficult to pray, pray for this. Pray for God to reveal himself to you more fully. Pray for a richer relationship with Christ. Pray for Christ's return. Going on down to the eighth verse, Jesus says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. This is straight out of Leviticus, the job of the priests to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them. Now, Ryan indicated I might dig into Leviticus a little more, but that, that's actually deep enough. Um, we have a special privilege today that they didn't have back then, um, either in Christ's time or before that, we have a copy of God's Word that we can read anytime we want to. Um, you know, and it, it's, uh, it's easy for us. Uh, so if we need something to pray for, pray for a deeper understanding of that Word. Pray for a quiet time in a quiet place so that you can meditate on it, read it, think about it. Um, pray for opportunities to share this word with other people. Um, claim God's promises. The Bible's full of them. So, and as, as a failsafe, we can always pray Scripture back to God. So, this I think is a is a, an important verse. Um, 
that um, you know God gave us His words, and we have them in front of us whenever we want them. Going on down to verse nine, he says, "I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me." Now, on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus had in mind the disciples that had been following him for the last three years and the, the men that he would soon uh, call apostles. I think that's who he had in mind, but we're going to see in a few minutes how he enlarges on that, so stay tuned. In verses 11 through 14, Jesus claims that he has kept his followers safe and he asked the father to keep them in his name he knows that there's power in the father's name and he claims that power for the protection of the saints we can claim the same power when we pray we can claim it for ourselves protection for ourselves we can claim it for other people the 15th verse jesus says i do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them safe from the evil one. Now, church, this, this is a key verse. This high priest knows the danger that these people are in. I mean, they're getting ready to crucify him. He, he knows the danger that uh, his disciples are in. Uh, but he doesn't pray to take them out of the world. He prays that they won't be overcome by the power uh, of Satan, He wants them to remain in the world because in about 40 days, more or less, he's going to ascend and leave these people that he's been praying for. He's going to leave them on the earth to carry out his mission, which is Matthew 28, 19. You go and make disciples. That's what we're about. Um, so the plan is not to leave or not to take people out of the world, just protect them from the power of Satan. Um, and so we can pray for the same, same thing. Uh, we can pray that we will be good stewards of the uh, things that God gives us to do his work. We can pray that we can resist temptation. Uh, we can pray for the strength to resist and, and overcome uh, persecution. Today, I think all of us can identify with the idea that Let's pray for our children who are in school. Pray that the, the things that they hear and learn in school, that they learn from their peers and that they learn on social media, pray that those things won't have a bad effect. Pray that, that Satan won't be able to overcome them through those, um, through those different things. In chapter 17, or in verses 17 through 19, Christ pays for, prays for the sanctification of his followers. He says, sanctify them in the, tr <clears throat> in the truth. Your word is truth. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. He's saying that God's word is truth and will sanctify believers. I think Probably all of you know that and think that. Um, he wants them to grow in righteousness while they're here on earth. Um, and we need to pray for sanctification that we would grow in faith 
grow in our generosity, grow in the way that we treat our fellow man, um, and pray that we would grow in a way that we would reflect God's character in everything, <coughs> everything that we do. My wife told me not to cough into this thing. So. Um, I think she's probably right. Verse 20. This is another important, really important verse. It says, I do not ask for these only. Talking about the people that have been following him and that were around the table with him. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. <clears throat> in other words, their disciples. In other words, Jesus is praying not just for those who had been with him and were with him at the time. But he's praying for future believers. Us. Now hear this. Hear this and, and, and remember this. The high priest that I mentioned before represented the sons of Israel in front of God with these, he had these jewels that were engraved with their names, with the names of the tribes of Israel. Your hands or your names are engraved. They're engraved, they're embedded in the nail scars in Christ's hands and feet. Same difference. Um, so when you feel an urge to pray, if you're thank feeling thankful, be thankful for this. Be thankful for this advocate, for this high priest, for what he has done and what he continues uh, to do. In verses 21 through 23, Jesus prays for unity. He shares his glory with believers, he says, so that there will be unity among all believers. Do you have perfect unity with everybody in this room? Do you have perfect unity with other believers who are not in here, people that you know, other Christians that you know that are somewhere else this morning? Do you have unity with them I once heard I don't know how many of you know this guy but Tony Evans a pastor at Oak Cliff <coughs> Church in, or Oak Cliff Fellowship in Dallas and he said the hardest thing you'll ever do is to love the guy you go to church with Tony knows he knows um, so right now and, and in a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating communion. This is a perfect time to look at your heart and pray, do you really have the unity with other believers that you need, that you should have? And in verse 24, Jesus utters what I consider to be the capstone of our faith. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory 
that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Our high priest is asking his father to let us into heaven so that we can be with them. Um, that's, that should be the, <coughs> the prayer and the goal of all believers. Now to summarize, uh, this has been kind of a long uh, series of passages here, but <coughs> Christ was appointed with an oath to be our high priest. He was not, he's not a Levitical priest. The priesthood changed in accordance with the new covenant that he initiated, sealed with the high priest's blood, his. Uh, the power of this priesthood resides in his indestructible life. He lives forever. We never have to worry about whether he is on the job. Now, it's, I think it's obvious um, that this prayer can also be a model for us. There are a lot of things in here, and I've tried to point some of them out, not all of them, uh, things that will help us improve our prayer life. Now, it's all, also obvious that what, what he's been saying here applies to believers, people who have accepted Christ as their Savior and who know him to be their high priest. There may be some of you in this room who have not made a profession of faith who don't know Christ as your high priest. You too have a prayer. You can pray that God would reveal himself to you. If you need help with that, then let us know after the service and we can, uh, we can help. Um, on the night before his crucifixion, Christ offered this high priestly prayer. And he also instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. Um, and so I'll, I'll turn the service over to Ryan now and let him uh, officiate in that. Ryan. Terry, thank you. Um, like, like we always have, we've got communion in the back tables. We've also got it up here uh, to my left at the front. As we sing this next song, if you um, have put your faith in Jesus to be this great high priest for you, we'd love to open up the table for you to come and take the, the body of Christ that was broken for you and the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Take it and eat it. And do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that was made on your behalf by our very great high priest himself. If you have not made that decision to put your faith and hope, your eternal life in the hands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we'd invite you to, to have that conversation with God right now. Would you come talk to us after service? Um, but communion is reserved for those of us who have put our faith in Christ to be this for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are holy and righteous and just. It is good and right for you to look upon us in our sin and to see that the only 
right solution is death. And in your grace and your mercy, you've sent your son to bear that death for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this prayer that he prayed for us. We thank you that he taught us how to pray in this prayer and that he comforts us in his words. God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in your son. Would you lead us to worship him this morning? Would you lead us to be unified under his blood, to find comfort at your throne under his blood? God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.